You are Locked On the NFL, your daily NFL podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Well, hello, hello, hello. I am Matt Williamson. This is the Locked On NFL podcast, and I have to start with a little apology. I always like to pull back the curtain for you guys. Thursday, I had a wonderful conversation with Sando, and fortunately and unfortunately, it was one of the best ones we've had. And Mike and I kick some butt on Thursdays, I gotta say. But I have a new recording software going, and it obviously his side was very faint. I thought I had that fixed over the weekend, and now I'm giving it another shot. I think we're out of the woods, and we're bringing back another great guest from Roto World, Thor Nystrom. What's up, dude? It's great to talk to you. Great to talk to you, man. Uh, absolute honor to be here. Can't wait to talk. Speaking of honors, please tell me about this award you just received. <laughs> it's badass, it's dude. Bashful, right, right out the jump. Uh, yeah, I won the uh, FSWA College Sports Writer of the Year Award. So That's awesome. very humbled and very honored about that. Yeah. Congratulations. That is awesome. Um, Thank you. As I've told you guys out there, remember to get the show every day. Subscribe to Locked on NFL on the new Himalaya podcast app. In this crazy expanding podcast world, you need Himalaya with their personally curated playlists and new features every day. Download Himalaya at your app store and subscribe to Locked on NFL and leave me a review. So now, folks, you guys got to go over to Roto World. Check out Thor's work. He has great profiles up with the the web of their you know, athletic abilities with quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends. And just pull back the curtain a little bit for us, please, and just let me know you know, the, the labor of your love there, how much work you put into these. They're exceptional. Thank you so much. Um, as far as work, man, I, I don't feel like I've worked a day my entire professional life. This I haven't is... worked in 20-some years, brother. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I mean, th- th- this is essentially just my hobby, which someone, uh, I was fortunate enough that someone offered to pay me for it. And so, I mean, th- you know, I go much deeper in this than, say, I went when I was – 13 years old, you know, looking through like all the different stuff, you know, making my own rankings on my own and stuff like that. I didn't write them up at that time, but, uh, you know, now it, <laughs> I'm allowed to go so deep cause I, I have all week to work on these. And so basically my thing is I'm a college football guy. First and foremost, it's what I cover. Uh, well, I, I was going to say year round, but not quite year round. I co- I cover it from, uh, about mid May through, Uh, the national title game. And then right after the national title game, I put on my NFL draft hat and we do that through again, through about mid May, you know, I do the, uh, the early look ahead after the draft is done. And so, you know, with with my profiles, basically I feel like, uh, like I'm, I'm not Matt Williamson. I'm, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a former NFL scout, but I, I, I do watch a lot of the games. You know, I've watched a lot of these guys live. I've covered them for the past four or five years. And so I feel like what I can offer to the community is information. And so basically, you know, with, with all the, um, you know, following these guys for years, I mean, th- these guys, I saw them all come in as recruits, you know, Dwayne Haskins, okay. I remember he was, he was committed to Maryland for the longest time, you know, under, under Edsel. And then they got rid of Edsel and, and Mike Loxley was named the interim coach and Haskins wanted Loxley to get the full-time job. And then they went with DJ Durkin, unfortunately, and he flips to Ohio state. Like all these guys, I've been following them for years and years and years. And so I try to put as much information as possible into those profiles. So I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I didn't plan on going down that alley. But it's been obviously a long time. But I remember recruiting a lot of dudes, and Larry Fitzgerald's the most with with you know, well known Revis, those guys. Minnesota. Yeah, right. Absolutely. And 
it really was helpful. And really, once I got to the league and ESPN and whatnot, I kind of got out of the recruiting loop. So I, I find out some of these guys were five-star recruits, like this time of year when their draft profiles come up, you know. So it is a huge advantage to be like, to see every step of his way from 16, 17 years old up until this point where they're about to get picked. Yeah, it really is. And you get to see like the progression of some of these kids, yeah, right? right? Like. You know, Haskins, you know, we, we didn't see him full time until this year. But, man, that, that kid was a prodigy coming out of Baltimore. You know, I mean, he, every program in the nation wanted him. He had to wait his turn at Ohio State, but you got to see him work, you know. And, and then some of these other guys who just sort of jumped out out of nowhere. Um, and then you have other guys that just had sort of strange careers following their trajectory. Like, I, I don't know if, if, if your listeners know this, but Will Greer, you know, the, the, the great West Virginia quarterback, he began his career at Florida. He was, mm-hmm. he was the future face of the program for the Gators and got popped for a PED suspension early on, I believe, in his redshirt uh, freshman year. And, you know, I mean, he, he was the guy there. And then he, he decided essentially to use the year that he was going to be suspended as his as his transfer year. You know, and so then he went to to West Virginia, got to play for Dana Holgerson. Dana Holgerson and coach Case Keenum at Houston was the offensive coordinator back in the day. And I, I think Holgerson looked at Greer like, oh, man, I'm getting Case Keenum to work with this, yeah. here. You know? <laughs> yeah. So it's just it's just fun stuff, you know, with all these guys. And then you see him go in or, you know. Tyree Jackson, you know, a guy that I watched in action almost every single week this year, you know, a, a guy who was super duper fun to watch and was really hoping he was going to go back to school. Uh, I was really hoping he was going to be a grad transfer, which is what, you know, like one of his ideas or whatever. But he elected to come into the class. He's a little too raw. But, mm-hmm. you know, getting to watch these guys, you, you get a different insight, you know, than coming from the NFL perspective. No doubt. And I have about 20 notes here of your rankings, some notes on these guys. Everyone needs to go read the profiles, of course, but I want to talk to you about them. Let's dig right in. Enough of the pleasantries, man. You Let's got you got Haskins over Kyler Murray. Please explain. I do. Yeah, it's uh, – well, I, I'm going to say this first. You know, in a vacuum, they would be very close, and Murray might even be a tick above him. It's very, very close. Okay. The thing for, the thing for me, though, is – I think Murray is a is a much bigger boomer bust proposition than some other folks think because knowing Kyler, I I think there's still a shot that he goes back to baseball at some point if stuff doesn't work out for him. Now, obviously, if, scary, if he becomes yeah. a star in the NFL, that's off the table. Even if he is a you know average NFL starting quarterback, that's going to be off the table. But you get four years down the road if if Kyler is struggling to be, you know to be a, a starting NFL quarterback, which I I think is entirely in play, especially if he goes to Arizona to play for the fire Texas Tech head coach but if, if, if his if his career starts out poorly um, you know I, I think that could be something that he starts to think about coming out of coming out of high school you know going back to the recruiting stuff he was a five-star uh, all-world recruit you know and, and he, he picks Texas A&M he wanted to play for Kevin Sumlin his his true freshman year Sumlin's going back and forth between Kyle Allen and Kyler Kyler gets ticked off and so he's like well whatever peace I'm out and he, he ends up going to Oklahoma where he played some baseball obviously as well um and then he told baseball teams if i'm a top 10 pick in the baseball draft i'm done with football i it's done i will be a baseball player going forward billy bean took him at his word took him at nine um and then billy bean was kind enough to say you know what kyler you want to play one more year of football go ahead you know Mm -hmm. it's an injury risk and, and everything like that but thumbs up and 
then Kyler went back on his word with that when it when it benefited him. And so I, I just think if, if he struggles at all to, to begin his career and there's a real shot of this, you know, I mean, uh, you talk about a player that's never existed before, you know, I mean, no, the, the risk profile. Uniform. Yeah, I mean, it was already going to be higher. And then you add that element in. That was basically the tiebreaker I used to put him below Haskins. All right. My, my only question between the two of them is obviously. They don't look alike when they walk in the room. They don't run or have athletic skills that are similar at all. But they're both very good passers of the football. Who's the better passer of the football? Uh, to me, it's Haskins. Yeah. Um, Hask- yeah, Haskins' arm talent is sick. You know, like... Uh, I don't think people are talking about that enough. Like yeah, How I mean, well he throws he rem- he reminds me of like, it's not even a football comp, but he reminds me of Dwight Gooden just firing fastballs down the seam. You know, you, mm-hmm. you watch him just chuck it with velocity. It's, it's really like a major league pitcher who can, you know, throw a hundred miles per hour. He's just really special arm talent. Like you mentioned though, far different profiles. You know, I, my joke about Dwayne Haskins is he runs like the, the field is made of pudding. Whereas, <laughs> you know, Kyler Murray in terms of escapability. I actually comp Kyler Murray in, in, in terms of movement to Devin Hester, you know, I, because there's not a quarterback who's been completely like that. We, we had Lamar Jackson in the last class. Lamar though, is more of like an angular upright explosive North South type runner. Mm-hmm. Whereas Kyler, it's just like chasing around a chicken in the coop. It, it's so <laughs> hard to get your hands on the guy. Yeah. I mean, like Jackson takes big hits. Kyler doesn't. Yeah. Oh, d- totally. Because like, how are you going to get an angle? on Kyler. It's it's basically impossible. All right, guys, quick break, and then I got a lot more of these comparisons chats to talk about. We'll be back here in a moment with Thor. All right, we are back, and I got another quarterback conundrum question for you. You have Daniel Jones over Drew Locke, and some notes I've been hearing is Locke is a lock, basically, to go in the top 15 or so. There's obviously a lot of arm talent and athleticism and looks apart. But I've also been hearing, and I've been kind of saying all along, I don't really see it with Daniel Jones, but people in the know keep saying the NFL likes Jones more than you guys do. You know, like there's a lot here behind the scenes with this young man. Justify Jones over Locke for me, please. Sure. Um, So just to dumb this evaluation down for people out there is – you can think of Daniel Jones in terms of running in a similar way to Josh Allen in the last class. He's a big athletic okay. kid who's who's fearless out of the pocket. You know, Drew Locke is another big kid who's athletic, but his running instincts aren't there and he doesn't want to run. You know, I mean, when, when he's nearing the line of scrimmage, when he's scrambling, Drew Locke is always trying to chuck the ball downfield, you know, whether it's the right decision or the wrong decision, whereas Jones will give you that value on the ground. The, the, the one thing that I think about when I think about Daniel Jones' evaluation is he stunk throwing the ball deep in college. Like, he, I mean, they basically didn't do it. Duke's offense was entirely in the short to intermediate sector, a lot of quick hitters, a lot of screens, you know, stuff like that. But the, the thing to keep in mind about that is people talk about Drew Locke's supporting cast a lot. And they, they, they you know, they'll, they'll say the thing of like, oh, Drew Locke's supporting cast was like really bad and all this kind of stuff. But they never they never say that about Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones's supporting cast at Duke was so much worse than Drew Locke's supporting cast at Missouri. Drew Locke got to play with Jamon Moore. He got to play with Emmanuel Hall, you know, who's, who's going to be in yeah, his right. class. NFL player. Might, NFL player might have another NFL receiver in Johnson. 
then uh, next year's uh, tight end class, Albert O, I, I, I have a tough time with the pronunciation, but he might be tight end one in the next class. Drew Locke also got to, to work with Josh Heupel, who showed at UCF what kind of a coach he is. Great signal caller. You look at, at Drew Locke's 2017 tape, he had like 15 touchdown passes to wide open receivers. Hmm. Missouri played a lot of bad teams in 2017. Their, their, their schedule is actually terrible. So when, when, you know, when people talk about, oh, Drew Locke you know, is proven against the SEC – no, he's not. Like, he put all of his stats up against the Idahos, the Yukons, the Southwest Missouri States, like, you know, and then the dregs of the SEC. My issue with Drew Locke is whenever they play good teams, he stunk. And like, and I, I'm not exaggerating here, Matt. L- let me give you the splits on this because okay. I, I did this for my for my column. So Drew Locke, during his career against Power 5 non-bowl teams, Power 5 teams that did not make a bowl, and then group of five teams that won eight games or less, he went 16-1. and won, uh, 65.8% completions, and get this, a 62 to 6 TDINT ratio. Now we look at Power Five Bolt when he was playing Power Five Bowl teams in his career and group of five teams with nine or more wins. He went six and 24, 37 to 33. TDINT rate. Wow. His interceptions tripled against decent teams. His touchdown percentage went from 11.6% against the bad teams to 3.6% against the good teams. His yard uh, yards per attempt average went from 10.0 against those bad teams to 6.7 against the good teams. And, you know, I've been bringing this up for a couple of years now because last year, you know, heading into this, it was either Locke or Herbert were QB1 on most people's lists. And right. I, think I, I think I had Locke uh, QB five back in May. And so, you know, I started to make these, well, it's, you know, to make the point then, well, as time has gone on, you know, some of these lock truthers out there, you know, on Twitter were getting after me and saying, well, you know, the, you know, it's because of the supporting cast and other good quarterbacks. It's just like this, you know? And so I was like, no, it's not, you know? And so I, I ran the numbers on Pat Mahomes during his career. Pat Mahomes was actually slightly better against good teams. Is than he really? Bad teams at Texas tech. Yeah. Wow. And it's funny because I'm sitting here processing all that information and you said, boy, he threw an awful lot of touchdowns to wide open guys that basically any quarterback could. And I'm sitting here thinking when the better defenses come with more NFL talent and speed and maybe better schemes, who knows, he doesn't do as well, you know, which most probably don't do as well, of course, but his splits are so nasty, like as you laid out, makes me think his processing is a problem. Am I right about that? Uh, yes, I I would agree with that. And okay. and he, you know, you, you hear a lot, you know, Drew Locke's got a lot of guts and, you know, he's got a lot of gunslinger in him. I agree with that, but he loses the forest from the trees as well a lot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we have multiple issues here. He he struggles against pressure. He, he struggles against good secondaries that can give him exotic looks. He struggles with decision making, you know, where he's always trying to go downfield, even though he's a big athletic kid. Like, you know, he could get yards on the ground. And sometimes instead of taking an eight yard scramble, he throws a pick six. You know, where, where he's just trying to force something in against bad defenses. His game worked in college because he had those NFL receivers to go downfield. Idaho couldn't handle those guys downfield. Sure, so Locke could just buy himself. Exactly. He'd buy himself a little time. He'd, he'd throw a rope. He did have moments against good teams. He had a great uh, play against Alabama this past season. But then he comes back on the next drive, and I think he threw an interception or, or something like right away. He he has had just the briefest of flashes, but in general, against good defenses, he just didn't show up. He, In fact, 
he, in my opinion, he did not have his first good game against a good defense in college until the regular season finale against Florida this season. He had a decent game against Georgia as a junior, but if you take out two long touchdown passes to Emmanuel Hall, it becomes a bad game You know, with, with his stat line. He didn't do anything outside of that. So I just have questions about Drew Locke. You know, when, when we talk about like a lot of these guys who have busted in the last 10 years, he has a lot of similarities to, to the bust. You know, Blaine Gabbert is the obvious one because he's another Missouri quarterback that you can draw the parallels to, you know. The pressure, processing, you know, the same exactly. same red flags. Uh, back to mm. Jones real quick before we go to another break. You mentioned to kind of start the segment that he kind of reminded you of Josh Allen as a runner, which to me is one of the best five running quarterbacks in the league, you know, that are, that are playing significant snaps. Do you really think Jones is – in that conversation, I'm not saying he's Vic or Lamar or Kyler, but a big-time weapon as a runner. Yeah, I, I think he could be. Yeah, I, wow. I, I think he's in in that phylum. Yeah, and, and I, I think I forgot to finish my other point, so thank you. Thank yeah, you for bring bringing Jones back up again. Um, you know, when as far as the supporting cast, so Jones was not able, essentially, was not allowed to throw it deep. Um, in, in college, like Cutcliffe, you know, the, the the mentor for both of the Mannings in college, David Cutcliffe at Duke, he, he centered his entire offense around these quick hitters. Well, the thing to keep in mind is Duke's offensive line was an absolute joke. It was an abomination. Mm-hmm. And their receivers were awful, 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 awful. They, they had this one kid, Aaron Young, that they were talking about is, oh, you know, Daniel Jones is finally going to have a deep threat this year. And then the young kid gets injured. Like he had a good first game. And I think he got injured in the second one. Jones did not he was not able to work with anyone I mean you know go and look at the guys that he played with it was basically just Daniel Jones and one thing it did do for his game is he's a killer short and intermediate you know like it it is all there you know then because that's a lot of what he was doing Mm -hmm. and so for me his eval comes down to one simple question it is you know, Daniel Jones, to me, he's he's got at least average uh, arm strength. You know, he can push the ball down the field. He doesn't have a howitzer or anything like that, but he can push the ball down the field. And so it becomes, does he just lack touchdown there? Is it something that he's never going to be able to do where, where, you know, he's essentially like a Ryan Tannehill uh, type of a guy? Or can he throw downfield? And it just wasn't available to him because David Cutcliffe knew the offensive line was going to cave after three or four seconds and none of his receivers catch the ball down there. Yeah, and that's a tough thing to evaluate if you're, you know, in our shoes, obviously, or it is. in an NFL team's shoes. If you're 17 at the Giants, you already added a pass rusher with your first pick. Is Jones a play for you if you're the GM? Oh, man, at 17, that it's might a be rich. a bit rich. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a bit rich for my blood. And, you know, I see this a little bit differently where, you know, f- for me, and obviously, Matt, you know, for being in the NFL, it, it, it's a different thing when you're inside of there. Because me from the outside, I can tell everyone out there, this quarterback class is way worse, way, way, way worse than last year's quarterback class. And it's way worse than next, qu- next year's quarterback class is going to be. So for me, um, I would probably try to defer it. I mean, heck, if I was the Giants, I'd do like a – a 76ers basically and and just you know try to build out some of these other spots and then just try to I I know it's not a popular word in the NFL but essentially just tank it Mm -hmm. um and put yourself in a position to get you know a Herbert or a Tua or you know guys at the top of the next class because you're going to get a lot better prospect than say settling even though I I I like him I like his tools but a, a Daniel Jones guy he's a guy that I would take a chance on later in the first round you know, Drew Locke's a guy that, uh, I mean, I, if I was running a team, I wouldn't get Drew Locke because I, you know, for me, my value range there would be in round two. Mm-hmm. But if, if these guys did not fall into my my value range, I would defer it until next year. But, of course, some guys don't have the job security in the NFL to defer a need like that till the next year. Right. And, you know, it sounds like, 
you know, they also have an early second round pick. And if you could add two impact defensive players in the first round, and to me, I, I would offer that early second for Josh Rosen. But maybe if Jones yes. is there in that early yes. second. But yeah, Ro- I was curious, how, where would Rosen stack up with your top four this year? Like, to me, that's the best value in the league right now. I'll give you a second for Rosen in a heartbeat. One thousand percent. Yeah. And, and well, I mean, if, if if I had to keep my quarterback rankings from last year mm-hmm. and then put my quarterback rankings from this year, he'd be number one. Really? Josh Rosen was the yeah, he was the number one guy in my I board like last year. Him. Now, you know, I'm just evaluating them on the field, you know, and a lot of the issues that Rosen had, you know, is this these anonymous quotes, you know, he's this and this off the field, et cetera. I can't bake a lot of that stuff in because I've never met the kid, you know, and like, for instance, you know, you go back to the 1998 draft. People did not want to touch Randy Moss because he was such a horrible person, you know, and, and, and even before the draft, you know, Dick Vermeil was coming out saying, we don't want this kid. He's not on our board. Uh, I think Bobby Greer said the same thing. We don't want him. He's not on our board, et cetera. Um, and it was all because of this, the personality stuff, the culture stuff, stuff like that. Well, they were wrong in, in, in that instance. And so I, I try not to bake that stuff too much in, but just as far as his game, I love Josh Rosen. And, and this reminds me, you see this way more in the NBA where like a guy struggles as a rookie because he's in an awful circumstance. Stands, you know, I mean, who was who was going to succeed in, right. in, in that? You know, nobody was. You know, and so I, I would absolutely buy low on Josh Rose, and I'm extremely bullish on him. I think he's really, really good. I think there's Pro Bowls in his future, and for Josh Rosen's sake, I hope he is traded to to get out of what I think is going to be a disastrous run for Cliff Kingsbury in Arizona. I'm sure my fans are sick of it because I keep saying it over and over that. 31 teams should be on the phone for Rosen, and I've yep. never met him, and I, I will concede if you're the Giants and you didn't like him a year ago, well, you don't like him any better now. <laughs> you know, I mean, he didn't improve his stock, but man, if I'm the Giants and I can add two big-time impact defensive players, a pass rusher in Devin Bush, or, you know, and then I add Rosen with that second-round pick, like, all of a sudden... You got something there, but I'm done on that high horse. I've been talking about it forever. <laughs> so fair th- enough, fair enough. Thor, we're going to another break. We're going to come back with a lot, final segment. I have 10 bullet points here of things I wanted to discuss with you. So far, I've gotten through two. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back we'll here in a minute. Best. Speed round. <laughs> All right, we have returned. And... The snail's pace of me buzzing through this list is not going well, so I might have to invite Thor back another day. Love but that'd be, that'd be great. I'm really enjoying this, by the way. Your Same. running back one is David Montgomery. Yep. And that might be a segment in itself. I want to hear all about this because what I've seen from Josh Jacobs has been very impressive. Yeah, and, you know, I'm not crapping on Josh Jacobs. Right. I, I have him number two, you know, RB2. And for a specific kind of team, by the way, I would prefer Josh Jacobs. I mean, they, they're very close for me. If I had a pass-happy team and I had an early down grinder, I would want Josh Jacobs over David Montgomery. Okay. But if I want, if you want a bell cow, David Montgomery, for me, is is the guy in this class. Um, you know, and, and, and people, obviously, you know, you, you look at, like, his his combine test and his spark score. You, he was only in the, the 20th percentile and stuff like His speed score wasn't great you know was below average but they can't test at the combine the most important trait of a running back which is how hard is it to get you on the ground Hmm. how hard is it to sweep your feet out from under you they don't have a test for that yet and because of that you know you see guys like Devontae Freeman fall down the board you see guys like Delvin Cook fall down the board guys like that and guys like uh, David Montgomery and Devin Singletary you know another guy in this class are going to be drafted below where they should Uh, David Montgomery is one of the hardest running backs to tackle 
that that I've seen in in the five years that I've been doing this. He, the, the joke I make about him is, you need a SWAT team to tackle that guy. Watch his tape. He he has some of the craziest moments where like the play's dead. You know, like you know, someone's got him on the ground, and then he somehow does the thing where he like flips in the air, and somehow his knees don't like touch the ground, and then the defenders are like, "What? What? Like what the matrix, like, yeah. Where's the whistle? Exactly." And and Montgomery's going up field. David Montgomery, I talked about Duke's abomination of an offensive line. Iowa State had an, an abomination of a line for the last three years. He, he had to run behind one of – and it wasn't just one of the Power Five's worst offensive lines. It was one of the NCAA – you know, the D1's worst offensive lines. It, it was just terrible. And so David Montgomery was always confronted with guys in the backfield, penetrating guys, whatever. And, you know – Despite the fact that he doesn't have a lead explosion, he was always able to grind out yards. And it's because it's so hard to get that guy on the ground. Elite contact balance, agility's great, runs with power, and he's very, very well-rounded. As, as a receiver, very good. Just natural receiver in, in another life, in a different body. He would have been a very good uh, you know, outside receiver. Could have been a very good tight end if he had a different body. Um, in, in this life, you know, he's got the body that he's got, and he's a very, very uh, natural receiver, a hands catcher, big catch radius for his size. Um, he's, he's also a very willing pass blocker. So he's a guy that you can keep on the field at, at all times. I, I compare him to Kareem Hunt without the off-field issues and, you know, better contact balance, breaking tackle ability, et cetera. That pinball ability, low to the ground, balance, all the things you just laid out. And and I host another podcast with Ryan McDowell with Dynasty Blueprint, which is fantasy dynasty oriented. And yep. by far, Montgomery was considered the best running back prospect before the season happened, you know, going into the 2018 season. And he's anybody blocking for him. How does a guy's stock, quote, drop from there? I mean, I don't understand that. Yeah, I, I think it's just, um, you know, and th- th- this is one thing that I have going for me as, as a college guy is just knowing the context. You know, I, right. I think when you look Jeez. back at, at David Montgomery's tape, you see you see people with their hands on him at all times. And then you look at his at, at his at his combine testing. Oh, he's just 20th percentile. He doesn't look too intimidating, you know, with his his street clothes on and all that kind of stuff. Um, but, you know, again, it's contextual. If if David Montgomery. OK, let's let's just toss it all like this. Let's say that uh, that Dave Montgomery had played for Oklahoma last year. He he would have threatened two thousand all purpose yards. He probably would have cracked it. You know, he would have gone absolutely supernova for you know if he played in a good offense. He just happened to play in this this offense that had a terrible offensive line, had had mediocre to poor quarterback play throughout, um, and he was able to transcend that. A guy like Jacobs. He was in the absolute perfect scenario for mm-hmm. for his skill set. They had the the you know quote unquote early down grinder. Although Harris is a bit more than that because he can catch. But Damian Harris was the guy that started. He was the guy that you know was facing the stars right from the outset. He was the guy that did a lot of the, that grinding type stuff. And then Jacobs could come in situationally. Jacobs a good, very good pass blocker. Although he needs to get better with his technique because he always wants to take somebody's head off. But you know to stop whiffing, he's he's got to improve the technique just a bit. But good good pass blocker and man. You know, you talk about like a, a natural receiver. Jacobs is the best receiving back in this class. Um, and, and he made some plays downfield in the passing game that were just insane. He had a play against uh, Auburn this year where he's running down the seam and Tua airmails a throw, you know, throws it over the wrong shoulder. He, you know, he throws it to the outside shoulder to the left. Um, and, and, and Jacobs, while he's running, just full bore, seamlessly turns around to the left, plucks the thing clean, breaks a couple tackles, accelerates into the end zone. Um, you see plays like that with Jacobs where, where he's going downfield. He, he can do different stuff like that. So I like Jacobs a lot. 
the, the, the tests, you know, were a little bit concerning, although, you know, I didn't, I didn't think that he was like an elite. Um, he was going to test like elite or whatever. Like my, my rankings came out before Jacobs uh pro day, uh, workout or whatever. So, you know, even if he tests a little bit better, I still would have had Montgomery above him. I think, I think mm-hmm. Montgomery's a better uh, player, you know, in, in, in terms of that well-rounded and stuff like that. But, um, Jacobs can do a lot of things. It's just, I think that he should be used in the N- NFL similarly to the way that Nick Saban used him, uh, at Alabama, as opposed to trying to turn him into some sort of like bell cow type back. I, I, I hate doing this and people that follow me know that I don't like to throw out comparisons to Hall of Famers or the best backs in the league at the time because that's crazy. You know, oh, he's a lot like Jim Brown. No, he's not. You know, but, <laughs> right. you know, the way you describe it and the research I've done on these two, I kind of feel like Montgomery's the Emmett Smith where Jacobs is yes. kind of the Kamara. You know, those molds. A, th- a thousand percent. But you couldn't have said it better. I mean, my, my comp for uh, Josh Jacobs, I call him the Malto Meal Alvin Kamara. Okay. <laughs> That's good stuff. <laughs> Thor, this was a blast. I'm going to wrap it up. Um, don't be surprised if you get a text in 10 minutes and say, hey, you want to do a back-to-back? Because this was really fun. And I got a lot of stuff here to, to, to bring up, but I got to cut, I got to roll for now. Where can everyone find you? Let's, let's do it again. Yeah, yeah that, absolutely. Again. Where can everyone find you? And everyone has to check out your, your work for sure. It's really good. Thank you so much. Yeah, th- thank you for supporting. It mean, means a ton to me, Matt. Um, you can find me at Roto World, um, the NFL draft section. We have new columns up every day. Um, I'm in the middle of my deep dive series, so I've done quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, and tight ends, so you can check them out now. Offensive line is going to come up later this week. Nice. Then we'll get into interior, defensive line, edge, and linebackers next week. Uh, I, I'm not running on much sleep right now. You know, we've been <laughs> we've been just grinding, but uh, this is the funnest time of the year. It's like, you know, it's like uh, 30 days of Christmas for me, you know, getting to jump in and all this kind of stuff. So uh, check that kind of stuff out. And on Twitter, I'm at Thorku, uh, T-H-O-R-K-U. Awesome. Folks, that is a wrap. Um, I'll be back tomorrow with, with probably some more draft talk. So over and out.